Thanks for making Locked on Nittany Lions your first listen every day. We are free and available wherever you get your podcasts. Locked on Nittany Lions, Locked on Big Ten. It is a Locked on crossover today. You are Locked on Nittany Lions, your daily podcast on the Penn State Nittany Lions. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. This is a Locked On crossover. Every Thursday, we get to connect across the Locked On podcast network. I'm your host of Locked On Nittany Lions, Zach Seiko. And joining me is Nate Dickinson of Locked On Big Ten, because unfortunately, we don't have a Locked On Rutgers, but uh, and hopefully at some point we get the chance to. So our conversation is going to be around Penn State and Rutgers today, and plus uh, our final segment centered around just everything around the Big Ten. And now that we're into basketball season, I'm excited to discuss that uh, with you as well, Nate. Thanks for thanks for your time and helping me do a locked on crossover today. Yeah, of course, Zach. Always happy to come on. Yeah. So Penn State versus Rutgers. I mean, Penn State is the national favorite in this game, the local favorite. I think a lot of Rutgers fans and uh, supporters are going to be picking Penn State in this one. Uh, The first thing that uh, I will start with just to get the Big Ten perspective is the resounding win against Maryland. Uh, Penn State went out and shut a I I don't know if I can call them a potent offense, but they're definitely an above average offense uh, and one of the better teams in the Big Ten this year. But to shut them out 30 to nothing, uh, was that surprising from the Big Ten perspective? Yeah, yes. Uh, not for Penn State to win, not even for Penn State to win big, but to get a shutout in that game, like you mentioned, Maryland's a pretty good offense. Talia Tungavailoa, he can throw the ball around. And when you have that kind of a team out there, even if they're having a bad game, that team's going to put up some points. Penn State dominated in just about every aspect on defense, and it was really, really impressive. This This entire second half that the Nittany Lions have been putting together, Zach, has been like insanely impressive, at least if you ask me. I think Manny Diaz has done a great job in what's like been putting together, I guess, this defense from the start. Because, I mean, you you give up 31 points to Purdue week one, you're thinking, okay, what's going to happen here? But then as things go on, they've gotten better and better. And outside of Ohio State and Michigan, this team's defense has been really, really good. You can say that about a lot of Penn State football outside of Ohio State and Michigan. Yeah, I think that, and that's the, that's kind of one of the things that I've been thinking too. And I've actually said this in a couple of locked on Nittany Lions episodes is that the big 10 is very top heavy this year. And what goes around comes around, because if you look at the recruiting rankings over the, at least from 2021, and I think even 2022, the top seven are all teams from the big 10 East and then eight through 14, it's everybody else from the big 10 West. Uh, so is that something that you believe, I guess, has caught up to those West teams um, or even just it's really just been Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State in some sort of order year to year and then everybody else. So now are we seeing the effects of that or is this just kind of coincidental that in 2022, Ohio State, and Michigan are in their own tier then there's Penn State and then everybody else? Uh, that's a crazy stat. I didn't know that about the recruiting classes, actually. Yeah. Um, as far as, uh, I mean, I don't know, is it catching up to them? I mean, 
catching up from what? I mean, when was the last time you thought the Big Ten West was that much? It was better than the Big Ten East. Ohio State's been on top. Michigan's been there too, at least in the last couple of years. And if not Michigan, someone else has been there always. But uh, the Big Ten West has kind of always been the inferior side of the Big Ten, at least since we started putting together these divisions and championship games. I think it's only the first year that they had the title game. The Big Ten West has won it. So it's like, this is a Big Ten East right now conference. That's why the conference needs to get rid of divisions and why they're going to at least hopefully two years from now. They already said it's not going to come next yeah. year. But yeah, the Big Ten East is easily superior to the Big Ten West. We've known that. And it's been in the last couple of years just kind of pathetic going into the Big Ten championship game thinking about, oh, is Northwestern going to knock off Ohio State? Is Iowa going to be able to beat to Michigan? No, it's hasn't been close and kind of deservedly so back to penn state nate i mean this team other than i purdue gave them a fight purdue was very interesting ohio state and michigan were the key games the ones that everybody had circled and they came up short uh the ohio state game was a lot closer even though i believe ohio state is a better team I just think Penn State gave them a better fight and really didn't know what to expect from Michigan, or at least didn't plan. <laughs> they didn't plan accordingly, um, nevertheless. And I, and I think that Penn State has actually built themselves up to contend with a spread type of team. That's why we've seen them lose against the likes of Illinois last year uh, and Michigan this year, because that's just not the way they're built. That power smash mouth football, uh, as long as those teams are going to be around in the Big Ten, I think Penn State might uh, very much struggle with them. Uh, but now they're on track to finish 10-2 and two and get into a New Year's Six Bowl. From the Big Ten perspective, how surprising is that? I don't know where most people had them. At least from a Penn State perspective, there were a good amount of fans and supporters that were saying this team is 8-4 and four at best. Um, seven and five is not out of the realm. Six and six would be a totally disappointing season. So maybe for you personally and from people that you, that you know, covering the big 10 where they had Penn state projected and what 10 and two you think means to the Nittany Lions this year. Uh, 10 and two is uh, and definitely exceeding expectations. I mean, what, what was it? Seven and six last season at the end of the year when they yeah. finished or was it six and seven, seven and six. So seven and I six. mean, when you yep. have, when you have what was last year a real disappointment, you like are kind of hoping you can get back to eight, nine wins and then getting up to 10 is an extra bonus. But I mean, this team, it's more than just the record. Like this team could have won 10 games or could win 10 games and have played a team like Maryland really close or not been able to blow out some of the teams it's been able to blow out like in Minnesota maybe. But this team's been convincingly beating the other challengers it's had. And when you have like the conversation about okay, is the Big Ten West a strong, or is the Big Ten a strong conference? Part of the reason why people think it's so top-heavy, like you say, is because when you get these kind of, okay, who else could be competitive in the Big Ten matchups against Penn State? Because I don't think anyone's expecting anybody else to beat Ohio State and Michigan. They're up there too high. But when you have Penn State as that clear third team, everybody else in the Big Ten saying like, all right, if we can beat Penn State, then we're legit. Minnesota mm -hmm. was at that point when you played Penn State. They lost big. They've fallen off and lost a couple other games since then, too. Maryland, going into last week, was a team that I was saying, hey, this is the team that could be the next best team in the Big Ten. Ends up getting shut out 30 to nothing. So what's been most impressive has been Penn State's ability to really, really put it on the teams that have been in that kind of range where, hey, maybe we can challenge for this third best team in the Big Ten spot. 
Penn State's passed every single one of those tests. And if you're a Nittany Lions fan going forward, I think what you take away is the fact that if you had doubts about the prestige of this program after the slump of last season, all those doubts should be gone. As you mentioned, the recruiting is there. The play on the field is back there again now. And James Franklin and Manny Diaz seem to be working perfectly together, especially as of late. These last few weeks have been really, really impressive with what Penn State's done on defense, especially to be really good. I just think they so, I just think they're the best team outside of Ohio State and Michigan by far on paper and have proven it on the field too. And when you think of Manny Diaz and his uh, potential prospects of becoming a head coach again, uh, and would that set Penn State back if he were to, for whatever, I mean, it's not for whatever reason. I totally understand that he wants to be a head coach again at some point in time. Uh, but this quickly, uh, leaving Penn State after one year, is that something that you're expecting him to do? Uh, and would it set Penn State back going into next season if he did? No, I don't think it's something that would happen just yet. I don't know what the, I don't know if there's interest around. I don't know if you have heard of interest around college football of putting him in a spot. He seems like somebody who wouldn't want to leave that Penn State job to go be a head coach at like a much, much smaller school. And as far as bigger schools go, I still think there's kind of that bad taste in the mouth for Miami as far as Manny Diaz goes. So if he can put together another year or two of really good defense, he'll of course be right there. And he is one of those kind of, I guess, names to look out for going forward for potential head coaching jobs. But I mean, I guess I'll throw the question back at you and ask you the same thing, but I don't feel like the situation's quite right for him to leave yet. Is he a good enough coach? Sure. I think he's proving that. Is he, a, does he have the ability to lead, college football programs i think he does and i think schools will believe that at some point again but uh i just don't think the timing's right right now and that's just it i don't think there's really any timing to this uh if somebody wants a coaching prospect and he's a prospect again like manny diaz i think you go get him now and say well like well he might be a better fit in two to three years that that's what worries me from the nittany line perspective is that uh, a university will say, hey, let's throw a boatload of money at him. We know he wants to get back in the game. We know he wants to be a head coach because he want he did state that, you know, yeah, Penn State's home, but at the same time that, you know, I, I'm looking for an opportunity to redeem myself. Not specifically that quote, but he's offered that sentiment. Uh, so if Manny Diaz were to leave after one year, uh, yes, it would take an ideal more than an ideal situation. But I think we're going to see some other ACC jobs open up. I don't think it's a matter of Manny Diaz going to find his place at a Mac school or a conference USA. I think he could end up going to a an ACC school, for example. I know that I know what Auburn is interested in, but I'd almost think they'd be foolish to not try to get Manny Diaz, who do, does have that recruiting ability uh, in the Southern region, at least to talk to him. Um, and, and that's what I'm kind of concerned about, is that, that high-profile uh, Power 5 school that says, you know what, Manny Diaz is still a good coach. If we need to get him in here now so that he can get situated, rather than saying, you know, maybe two to three years is better down the road, but... Uh, I, I would like to believe that he's here at least for another three to four years, but it, it's the way that he's instantly kind of corrected course at this point. I mean, 
where does if Manny Diaz is say in the pool of coaches available this off season, where does he rank as far as as far as just where where he's respected as a coach goes? Because if you're talking the Auburn job, I mean you're talking about they're not settling for anyone who isn't like one of the top three guys who's available and a really really enough. solid and proven college coach, right? Like I don't like Manny Diaz is good, but as far as what like Auburn's looking for, like you got Matt Rule out there who, if you ask me, is going to be the next coach at Nebraska, but. Auburn can go yeah. after him too. You've got a uh, Deion Sanders out there. If he ends up actually being a legitimate option for some of these power five programs this off season. I don't know if Manny Diaz is that kind of a name where if I'm an Auburn fan, I don't know how excited I am by hiring Manny Diaz, I guess okay. compared to some of the other names that could be out there. But I, I mean, at the same time, I'm kind of circling through my head and trying to figure out, okay, who would be above Manny Diaz right now? I guess I don't know that many names but we also don't know what names are going to be out there just yet yeah sure no and it's not necessarily uh specifically tied to auburn i just know that's a high profile one i know that there's going to be some like he could land in the pac 12 even though he hasn't had he he's been out west but not specifically related to the pac 12 for a long period of time he could land in the big 12 i think uh the acc so it's not like out of the realm if a more than reputable uh, job were to open up, I think that Manny Diaz would at least take some phone calls. I think even Mike Yersich uh, in year two like this, and he almost took head coaching offers uh, a, a year ago after he was being interviewed for a head coaching spot before he even came to Penn State. I think Penn State just, he didn't want to take that non-Power 5 deal, that non-Power 5 job, and so here we are. Well, one thing we haven't even, uh, honestly, and there's really no reason to have been talking about it. It's so kind of an abstract thing at this point. But let's say Manny Diaz takes a Big 12 job this offseason. And then three years from now, that team isn't a Big 12 team anymore. I mean, if you're if you're a coach mm-hmm. who's looking for a job, the reason why you go and if you're Manny Diaz, you're going to take a head coaching job. But if you're looking for what we're talking about, prime time positions, if you're a head coach looking at those jobs, the reason why they're prime time positions is because they have the resources provided by, in a big part, the conference they're in and the teams that they play. If he goes and takes a Big 12 job and then expansion happens and they're left out of the Big 12, all of a sudden he's whatever the in-between is between the Big 10 and the SEC and all the mid-majors, whatever that's going to be. I mean, that's a step down. So unless he finds like a big, big for sure primetime job that he really, really wants here, Again, it's just a really, really weird situation with so much changing in college football right now. That just adds on top to the reasons why after one season at Penn State, maybe you just uh, stick around and feel things out a little bit longer. I think that's very fair with the way the landscape is. It's not set in stone by any means. It's a locked on crossover. This is why I enjoy talking to you, Nate, because we get that uh, that better perspective about things. And someone who's kind of, you know, got a little bit of tunnel vision. How can we keep Manny Diaz in Happy Valley? Well, there might really need not be that argument to take him away necessarily. It is a locked on crossover with Nate Dickinson of Locked On Big Ten and myself, Zach Seiko of Locked On Nittany Lions. When we come back here, we're going to talk about that Penn State Rutgers game. Penn State is a 19-point favorite. The total is set in the mid-40s. I want to get Nate's perspective on the Scarlet Knights and what they can do to try to make the game competitive. They gave Michigan a scare, 
but only for the first half. So uh, could we see that again against Penn State? Find out and later up coming on in the show, a, a true around the Big Ten as we're going to talk football, basketball, and get the conference perspective here on this Locked On crossover. Today's episode is sponsored by Nugenics. Remember when winning felt easy? That's because when you were younger, you were at the peak of your testosterone production. What some have called the winner's hormone or the man hormone, wouldn't it be nice to get that winner's edge again and that old swagger back in your step? Want more energy to counter the negative physical effects of aging? Nugenics Total T Testosterone Booster with Testafin will help you turn back the clock, re-energize your workouts, and get better results at the gym and help you look and feel like the man you really want to be. Nugenics Total Tea contains man-boosting key ingredients like testafin. It has been validated in five clinical studies shown to boost free testosterone levels in men. Because Nugenics Total Tea boosts free testosterone that the aging process robs, you'll feel stronger, leaner with more energy and drive, and more passion too. Now get a complimentary bottle of Nugenics Total Tea when you text COLLEGE to 231231. Text now and get a bottle of Nugenics Thermo, their most powerful fat incinerator ever, with key ingredients to help you get back into shape fast, absolutely free. Text COLLEGE to 231231. Text COLLEGE to 231231. Texting enrolls you into reoccurring automated text messages. Consent not required to purchase. Message and data rates may apply. Thanks for making Locked On Nittany Lions your first listen today. For your second listen today, check out Locked On Sports today. From the games that matter the most to the biggest stories in sports, go beyond the scoreboard and behind the scenes with local experts and insights only Locked On can provide. Locked On Sports today, available on this app, YouTube, and wherever you get your podcasts. Yes, indeed, it is a Locked On crossover. I am Zach Seiko of Locked On Nittany Lions with host of Locked On Big Ten, Nate Dickinson. Nate, thanks so much for joining me on this crossover episode because unfortunately we don't have a Locked On Rutgers, but uh, you will play that role again as we <laughs> did that just last week. Uh, with the game against Maryland, since we don't have a locked-on Terrapins, a locked-on Terps. Uh, but it is enjoyable to talk to you. Very informative in the first segment as we kind of went through a coaching carousel. And we we can get in the, those conversations because, and, I, and I've said this to other colleagues talking about this Penn State Rutgers game leading up this week, is that I feel like I've gone on so many tangents because that ga- it's Ohio State-Michigan, Penn State all by itself in that second tier, and then I would say Purdue's honestly the closest, and then everybody else. They're, but they're still in that third tier, if not uh, uh, any lower. Uh, Illinois, I thought, was going to be the case, but uh, that's certainly not. So here's Rutgers in this bottom tier going up against Penn State. Rutgers gave Michigan a fight. Anytime you have one of those teams come in where no one's really given them a chance, they seem to find a way to make it a fight uh, and even pull off a magical win. I don't want to speak it into existence. I want Penn State to go on the road and beat the uh, living daylights out of Rutgers. Uh, but what what do they do basically? Greg Schiano, uh, diehard Penn State fans know that he was an assistant once upon a time. Then he was the def- he went to the NFL. He was at Rutgers first. He went to Rutgers, went to the NFL, coached the Bucks, and now he's back with Rutgers after a stint with Ohio State and not getting the head coaching job at Tennessee. I think that's something that's been forgotten. He almost uh, Coach Heupel, he's down there at Tennessee uh, having having a lot of fun at Rocky Top, but Greg Schiano was almost the guy once upon a time. So here he is back in Rutgers with his second stint. Uh, just what what is this Rutgers team all about? 
Uh, it's not the best of Big Ten teams. It's not the best of Rutgers teams, Zach. Um, this squad does not do much on offense. Uh, one of the worst offensive teams in all of college football, averaging a little over 14 points per game. When you put that up together against the Penn State defense, I'd be pretty surprised if I saw anything more than like 10 points up until the very end of the game from Rutgers in this matchup. Okay. It just doesn't have the organization to put things together. It's been splitting snaps at quarterback throughout. Uh, not, I shouldn't say splitting snaps, but they'd had two different guys at quarterback in this season. It looks like at least it'll be Gavin Wims at right now. I, I mean, yeah. Rutgers just isn't all that good and they're not going to do all that much against Penn State unless they can get turnovers which has been something Penn State has or Rutgers has done this season just not recently uh 10 turnovers in the first six games for the Scarlet Knights just two in the last four so things are not looking good for Rutgers it was actually a decent start to the season it looked like they might exceed some expectations which were at the bottom of the barrel but this yep. back stretch has been pretty rough for Shiano and his team. And I mean, I think that Rutgers fans still have some confidence in Greg Shiano right now, but his offense in particular is just really, really bad. And we talked a lot about how good Penn State's defense has been already. It's not looking like it'll be pretty here on Saturday. Yeah, Gavin Wimsat's the guy that I've keyed in on because he's been deemed the quarterback of the future. Uh, listening to, I, I, I'm colleagues with the voice of Penn State football and men's basketball, Steve Jones, and he's uh, he has a very good working relationship with Chris Carlin, who is that same. He's that counterpart for mm -hmm. Rutgers, the voice of uh, the voice of Rutgers football. And and Chris Carlin said, you know, Wimsat's the quarterback of the future. They had no intention to really play him this year, but then an injury to Noah uh, Bedrill uh, changed things, and then really no continuity with the other quarterbacks that they've tried to play, and, and Evan Simon, if you will. Um, but Wimsat's a guy that they're just like, you know what? We've seen flashes from him. He, he's a dual-threat quarterback, and Penn State's actually had some remote success with containing dual-threat quarterbacks, even though they didn't win that game against Michigan. J.J. McCarthy didn't wow me anyway, um, I guess they didn't really have to, but I thought they did a good job of containing him and at least limiting him. Uh, and then Talia Tungavaloa, I, I know that he's banged up, but he had a rough go around of it uh, against Penn State in last week. And that was with Joey Porter Jr. and Curtis Jacobs, arguably the two best defenders on that Penn State team, out of the lineup. And they shut them down. So if you're able to do that to a Maryland offense that's got a capable quarterback in Talia, uh, two very star-like wide receivers when they're fully healthy, Rakim Jarrett and Dante Demas Jr., I don't really see Rutgers moving the football at all. Uh, even when Indiana brought in Dexter Williams and Penn State started to cycle in some of its backups, it's not like Indiana had an easy time moving the football. So what I'm getting at is dual-threat quarterbacks – uh, don't cause headaches for Penn State because of the team speed that they have. No, and Rutgers isn't going to be able to, I don't think on the offensive line, be able to give him too much time out there to be able to work around and do stuff. He may have to end up getting a little shifty and improvise and try to escape some things. Uh, we'll see what he can do. And if he's the quarterback of the future, maybe he ends up showing some stuff. But I don't, again, I don't see very much opportunity for Rutgers to score very many points at all here. Over-unders at 45, I believe, last I checked. If you're a yep. Penn State fan betting that, 
I think you just got to be thinking about how many points do you think the Nittany Lions are going to score. If they can get that all by themselves, then maybe they can push over that number. But again, uh, I'm surprised if maybe a garbage time touchdown gets them to like 14, but I don't think Rutgers scores many points in this game when the game is still up for grabs at all. There is no evidence to suggest that Penn State's really good defense is going to be able to or will bend at all against a Rutgers offense that has not done much of anything. And I'll steal this from the voice of Rutgers football again, Chris Carlin. He he said that Greg Schiano, in his time at Rutgers, they are nine and one when Rutgers does not turn the football over. That that's a tough ask against this Penn State defense. Uh, but if the offense can at least take care of the football, he said that's the key. And then making some magical things happen, a blocked field goal, a blocked punt, whatever have you. Uh, the likelihood of that, I, I think little to none, but it, it's those kind of plays that in these types of games, if you let a team like Rutgers hang around and the longer and the longer and the longer that they're able to be in this game, that's when they start to believe like, hey, we can do this. We can pull this off. Um, but Penn State's had an immense amount of success against Rutgers. I'd say uh, also something Carlin added was that the secondary is this be- is the best group uh, for Rutgers' defense, but the pass rush really doesn't get home. Uh, yeah, sure, they have some sacks, but their leading pass rusher has three and a half. Um, so Sean Clifford's going to be able to sit back in the pocket and allow Parker Washington or Mitchell Tinsley or any of those tight ends to get open, and maybe he even finds a running back out of the backfield. I mean, do you think he's going to have to sit back there very often? I, I picture Nichols Singleton running all over this defense as well. Sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, what are your thoughts on Singleton after the performance that he's had? Because it was kind of this argument, well, who's better? It's, uh, it seems like it's Katron Allen. And Nicholas Singleton, I think, in three weeks here has truly turned into the complete back that does resemble a Saquon Barkley. Yeah, he's a monster. He was off the bat. I mean, you could tell off the first game when he got a couple of touches and even the first couple of plays in the season, I it was like Penn State was riding him hard and Katron Allen getting thrown into that mix just really took some of the pressure off him. And now they're both really, really thriving. Uh, the run game for Penn State is scary good. When you have two of those guys who can, again, make sure that nobody's really taken like 25 carries, 30 carries in a game, that's really, really good stuff. And in these kind of games, it's what allows a team like Penn State not to stumble against a Maryland or a Minnesota because you've got that foundation. That's what that run game is. When you have those two guys who are so dynamic like that, you've got two guys who you know are going to be able to put up yards. They're going to add to your total yardage every single week. And it's been maybe the biggest key, definitely the biggest key to why Penn State has been able to make this bounce back. Let's get into a prediction before we finish this Locked On crossover where, uh, you know, you'll lead the discussion and this will be more of an around the Big Ten segment uh, with Penn State uh, factored in here. But I I obviously like Penn State. I like them to cover that 19 number. The total, it's a matter of how many points can Penn State get to. um, And I think they will have the home run plays. I think that uh, Sean Clifford will be able to – find open receivers when they ask him to pass. I think this is a Drew Aller game coming in uh, late in the third quarter or even earlier. So I I think Penn State actually shuts them out again. I've had this conversation. Can they get two shutouts in a row? Uh, Last year they had two shutouts. One was against Rutgers, and the other one was against Indiana in that 24 to nothing game uh, under the lights. So I will take Penn State here. 
um, and I think they can get 40 points again. I will go. Uh, I think they'll get all of them on their own and go 45 to nothing here. Yeah, it's what it's like 18, 19. The spread is right now. Yeah. I'm not sure exactly. I don't have bet online up in front of me, but uh, yeah, yeah. I'm taking Penn State minus the points for sure. It, it'll really just be a matter of how many points Penn State scores early because there'll be a point where this game gets out of hand. And at that point, Penn State probably takes the foot off the gas a little bit in this game. So if Penn State can pour on some touchdowns early when they still have everybody in there, then by the time it gets to garbage time, you're not really having to worry about that 20-point spread. Same thing with the over. Again, Penn State's going to be scoring most of the points in this game. And now that we're saying it, Rutgers will probably make things competitive, and we'll see what ends up happening on Saturday. But as it stands, I am absolutely not sorry for – having no confidence in the Rutgers Scarlet Knights on Saturday here. Penn not State even a little, not even a little, no, not really. No. <laughs> what do you think the final score will be? A relatively oh, yeah. final score. Uh, I'll give Penn. I'll give Rutgers six points, I guess a couple of field goals oh. and let's say uh, make it an even 40, 40 to six. Okay. Yeah. I, I'll, I'll throw out one more player because I feel like I don't, I don't want to be mean and say like, oh, there's nothing to analyze about Rutgers. Like they're just not in the level of competition in the Big Ten this year. And, and I don't know what the issue is because I think Greg Schiano is the best coach for this program. But at the end of the day, they're still not getting the results they they like. Uh, Sean Ryan's a big six foot four wide receiver. Uh, if there's anybody that's going to give problems to the secondary, especially one that's going to be missing Joey Porter Jr. again, most likely this week, we don't have confirmation, but I can't imagine that he's recovered from his appendicitis just yet. Um, I, Penn State hasn't, I, I can't say that they haven't handled big wide receivers well, but I honestly don't think of any. They've kind of faced those shifty five. Five foot eleven, six foot speedy wide receivers more often than not. So someone who's more of a jump ball receiver, uh, maybe that's a guy who could haul in a touchdown or two. Surprisingly, if Rutgers, if Rutgers is able to drive down the field, but uh, let's spend some time talking about the Big Ten here, Nate. Uh, when we come back on this locked on crossover, we are I'm going to throw it over to Nate. He's going to lead the discussion as we look around the Big Ten in both football and men's basketball. My name is Zach Seiko of Locked On Nittany Lions, and he's Nate Dickinson of Locked On Big Ten. Today's episode is sponsored by BetOnline. BetOnline.net is your number one source for betting info, stats, news, and analysis this season. Get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there, from football to basketball to soccer and esports. We've got it all at BetOnline.net. And if you love sports podcasts, you can find those at BetOnline as well. We're always the fastest and easiest way to get your betting fix. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. Bet online where the game starts. Hey, it's a lock on crossover. You've already heard from Zach Seiko leading off the last two segments here with Locked On Nittany Lions. Nate Dickinson with you on Locked On Big Ten as we start to take a look into the weekend around Big Ten football and also Big Ten basketball starting up as well, too. So we'll just have a kind of general Big Ten combo with Zach about some of his thoughts about what's going on around the Big Ten. And of course, we got to plug around the Locked On Network, too. If you're listening in to a Locked On show, it's one of ours, Locked On Nittany Lines or Locked On Big Ten right now, go subscribe to the other one. Just do us a favor and do that right now on YouTube, Twitter, and podcasts, all that kind of stuff to make sure yeah. that you're staying up to date around the Big Ten and around Penn State as well. All right, Zach, let's get into the weekend here in Big Ten football. We've talked Penn State and Rutgers here in the first two segments of your show. 
I want to get into and pick your brain on what you think about what Minnesota Gophers, because Penn State's played Minnesota. Penn State has played the more recent version of Minnesota that does not seem quite as good as what we had at the first part of the season for the Gophers. But when you had this Gopher team, which is now contending again for the Big Ten West, what did you make of what Minnesota brought out there? Because they've got, of course, a big matchup with Iowa coming up on Saturday, probably the biggest of the weekend in the Big Ten. I think they're one-dimensional. And even now, Callie McManus started that game against Penn State, but I'm not even sure that Tanner Morgan, if he had played, that they would have had much more success. Maybe they score another field goal and put another drive together. I actually think Callie McManus helped them out because – he showed, he showed a little bit of a dual threat capabilities. And, and Tanner Morgan is a statue. He, he's the pocket passer. He is Minnesota's version uh, of Sean Clifford, if you will. Um, now, I, I like Mo Ibrahim. I, I do a lot. I think, he, I think eventually he will be a kind of a, whether he's not necessarily a number one running back in the NFL, but he'll be a guy that gets rotated into the fold. Like he'll be a solid two or at least be used in a running back by committee at some point in time. Uh, from, so what I believe in Minnesota is that they're well coached. I, I have the utmost respect as just a college football fan for P.J. Fleck, uh, but this Minnesota team, because of the lack of receivers – this Iowa team, uh, they're, they're the second-best secondary. I know statistically it's Illinois, but from a talent standpoint, Iowa has the second-best secondary in the Big Ten, uh, and they're closer to Penn State than most people might imagine. So with that being said, and none of the attention that you need to focus on this wide receiver core for Minnesota, I, I like Iowa a lot. I think Iowa's actually going to emerge, and even though they've gotten a ton of criticism – from everybody across the country about, well, they need to change up the quarterback. They need to fire Kirk Ferentz's son. Iowa faced some tough teams when they were seeing the lowest of their quarterback play. And if you look as of late, Spencer Petras looks like a decent quarterback. So uh, Minnesota's favorite in this game, but I think Iowa outmatches them just by how smothering this defense is. What about the Minnesota defense? That was supposed to be really good. Then it gives up 45 points to you guys. I, I game script as well. You know, Penn state was, it, it's the fact that Minnesota's offense doesn't help them out. So if, if Minnesota, Minnesota is able to control the time of possession, which I think they can under most circumstances, but I was going to sell out for the run. And why shouldn't they? Because they can leave all those cornerbacks on an Island. So it's not that Minnesota's defense isn't good, but when your offense goes three and out or turns the ball over, on plus side territory for the opponent, yeah, it's going to look like it's a lot worse. And I think Iowa will do just that. They'll force turnovers uh, and they'll be able to get this offense on the field and no uh, no problems. To be fair to Minnesota, it's one dimensional, but the one dimension's been working still, even without the other. Kelly McManus last week threw 13 passes against Nebraska. Mo Ibrahim still did his thing. It was perfectly fine. They had to come back from a 10 nothing deficit at halftime, but they end up beating the Cornhuskers. I, I think... Yes, I was going to sell out for the run, but to be honest, I think Minnesota is going to be pretty close to selling out for the run as well. This game's going to be played on a Saturday in which in Minnesota, the high is freezing at 32 degrees. Yeah. So there won't be a ton of passing in this game. A ground and pound classic Big Ten football game. It's the reason why it's one of the lowest spread or lowest total totals in college football history. I think it's at 32 and a half right now, if I'm remembering right on my numbers. Yep. Yep, it's just really, really going to be 
run after run after ground and pound and it's going to be a battle in the trenches i think minnesota's offensive line is good their center is one of the best in all of college football and probably Absolutely. maybe the best in the big 10 uh but he's really really good and mo ibrahim i think is going to be able to be okay in this game i, I agree with what you're saying about like okay i was going to be planning for it but teams have been planning for it minnesota's been not able to pass the ball this season Mo Ibrahim's still doing his thing. I, I don't know how much I was able to slow him down, but we'll see what ends up happening because this game is going to be just a whole lot of that runs up the middle guys being in and trying to just push each other out of the way to get tackles and get inside. As much as I want to agree with you, um, because I, I, I respect Minnesota for where they're at, but their most three was recent wins Rutgers, Nebraska without Thompson at starting quarterback. And then you have uh, the game against Northwestern most recently where they barely won. So uh, if they're, they, they beat Rutgers, no problem, but they, they struggled to win convincingly against Nebraska and Northwestern, which concerns me. So um, they, they can do the best coaching job. They just don't have the horses to contend with some of these better skilled teams. Like they're just being out talented, out talented I would say, and I have said, they have potential here to be the most, the biggest disappointment in the Big Ten this season, given what they did early. Because at the start of the season, yeah. everyone was kind of up in the air. People thought Nebraska might win the Big Ten West. People thought it would be Iowa or Wisconsin or Minnesota or Purdue were all in the conversation. But once the season started, it was Minnesota who was playing that good football off the start. And three, four weeks in, you see Iowa fall off and lose two games early. Nebraska, of course, loses games early on. Wisconsin didn't look good. Minnesota was looking like it was going to be like standalone best team in the Big Ten West. And then it just all kind of fell apart. Gophers have not been there. And they're still in it. They're still tied for the Big Ten West yeah. lead right now. But they do have, as it stands, the longest path as far as what they need to actually win that side of the conference. And it's not looking good with how they've been trending lately. And interesting to hear what you thought after you saw, of course, really the first sign of that when Penn State destroyed Minnesota the time that those two teams played. Uh, Zach, I want to move over to basketball for a second and ask about your Nittany yeah. Lions, actually. Because this team isn't projected to be great, but... In Big Ten basketball, when you have a team that's led by five seniors, you just know they're going to be able to knock off some teams come conference play. What is it that this team does well that's going to be able to get them to do that? I light up now when we talk about Penn State men's basketball. Uh, Pat Chambers walks so that Micah Shrewsbury can run. Um, this <laughs> team, what they do, what they do well, they shoot the three ball very well. Last year, it was around thirty-four percent. This year, they're shooting, and I know it's early in the season and they're not facing teams that are good at protecting uh, the arc, but they're shooting 46% right now from three-point land. And it was the case last year. Why couldn't they do that last year? Because they had really one bona fide three-point shooter, and that was Miles Dredd, who had, had a shoulder problem uh, and, and couldn't get it figured out in the middle of the season. But now you have Miles Dredd. Now you have Andrew Funk and Cam Winter, who you got out of the transfer portal, and a guy like Andrew Funk is automatic from the corner whenever you line him up and you give him a sec to get set. 
Um, Jalen Pickett's the do-it-all guy. He just came off of the triple-double, the second Nittany Lion in history to have a triple-double since 1998. Uh, Calvin Booth and Jalen Pickett. So it's historic. Uh, this team's already setting records with three-point shots, three-pointers made, three-pointers attempted, because that's the team they're going to be. They're going to shoot the ball. They've shot it effectively. Um, and, and basically, when they face these teams that are not good shooting teams, like a Butler, for example, Butler's not a good shooting team, even though they had big men. Why didn't they clean up the glass? Penn State ended up out-rebounding them, and, and they forced them to take bad twos. So that's going to be the formula all year. And I think they projected them to finish 11th in the conference, they're going to finish top eight easily. You have the five seniors, Jalen Pickett, Cameron Winter, Andrew Funk, Miles Dredd, Seth Lundy. All seniors, all right now averaging double-digit points right now. You mentioned Pickett with the triple-double. Is he the leader? Is he the guy who's going to be carrying the flag and leading the way for this team? Yeah, yeah, he is the guy because last year he would almost play all of the 40 minutes. You You basically had to pull him off of the court. Uh, and this year, now that you have a little more depth in that front court, you don't necessarily need to do that. I've seen him play around 32, 33 minutes, but that's still a lot. I would say he's the one guy like in terms of leadership and running the floor. And then Seth Lundy would be that too. The complimentary guys are the Cam Winter uh, and the Andrew Funk. But Cam Winter showed that, I mean, he led the team in scoring the other night against Loyola, Maryland. So any of these guys can rise to the occasion. Uh, Andrew Funk was one of the scoring leaders in game one when they played Winthrop. So it's almost an any given night type of thing. But I would say that Jalen Pickett's the one to charge them into battle. What about defending the bigs in the Big Ten? That's still the story here. Not quite as much as it was last year, but Zach Eady's still there. Hunter Dickinson's still there. Trace Jackson Davis, not quite the traditional big, big, but is the size that leads that Indiana Hoosiers team. Uh, does Penn State have someone who can defend big guys down low? Um, in short answer, not right now. Um, they they well in their front court, so they've been content with starting a six foot seven forward in Caleb Dorsey as their quote unquote five. But they're using their speed and athleticism to basically tire these big guys out. Manny Bates had his way for Butler, but Penn State essentially let him and said, we're going to force you to make mistakes in other aspects of the game, but we're going to allow your big man to have success because why waste our time trying to defend something that we're just not ultimately good at, but instead let's smother you everywhere else where we can make you struggle. So that's what Penn State's doing. They're just playing to their strengths, uh, and that's what they had to do last year. That's why they played that slow pace. Who was the first team to 55? This year it's going to be a race to 80 to even 90 points in some point uh, at times during the season. So Penn State's going to try to outshoot you and, and force you into bad shots. They are not going to waste their time double-teaming the Hunter Dickinson. Uh, they will at points in time. I'm not saying they're just going to let them control the, uh, the front court there, uh, but they're going to definitely uh, focus on creating turnovers, being good at defending the three-point shot, uh, but they will allow and surrender those points and rebounds to the guy that's usually going to be 6'10 or bigger. All right, well, I got what I wanted from you, Zach. I wanted to know about all Minnesota right. in that matchup coming up. I wanted to know about all those seniors for Penn State and how that's going to look this season because I'm really interested in seeing what that team looks like. And if they're shooting the way that they have been, it's going to be a whole lot of fun too. So I wanted to pick your brain on that and make sure we got all that in. Locked On crossover episode with Locked On Penn State and Locked On Big Ten. At Zach Seiko, I'm Nate Dickinson. 
We'll be back, of course, to wrap things up here in just a second. Thanks for joining myself, Zach Seiko, and Nate Dickinson of Locked On Big Ten for a Locked On crossover today. Tomorrow, we have a full game preview specifically devoted to Penn State versus Rutgers. Don't miss it here on Locked On Nittany Lions.